Good morning to all. It's good to be here and it's good to be able to worship God together today. Please be mindful of those members of our congregation who are not here with us today. I know that we have some, many perhaps, who are just not quite yet comfortable to uh, uh, leave their, their homes and come and be with us. Please be mindful of them. Remember that the church is the family of God, and so we're brethren in Christ, and so we need to be mindful of those who are our brothers and sisters and pray for them and encourage them and serve them in whatever way that we can to make sure they know that they're not forgotten. In John 6 and verse number 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. There are seven I am statements of Jesus found in the book of John, and John 6 and verse number 35 is the first. But what does it mean, and how does it apply? Well, to understand what's going on in John chapter 6, we simply have to follow the food. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter and notice in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, this is when Jesus feeds the multitude. There is a multitude of what even a conservative estimate would number to be about 10,000 people. Notice that it's only the men who are mentioned by number in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. So we have at least 10,000 people, most likely, and the Bible says that Jesus fed them all miraculously with five barley loaves and two small fish. And it was at the end of this occasion that the people saw him and evidently deduced that this Jesus is the prophet of whom Moses spoke in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And so they reacted by trying to force Jesus into becoming their king. So Jesus, knowing what they were doing, backed away from the crowd. And in verses 15 to 21 of John chapter 6, Jesus sends his disciples by boat to the other side of the sea. And later that night, Jesus will walk on the water. The miracle of Jesus walking on the water, he will meet, the multitude, he will meet them. And then the next day, the multitudes come back looking for Jesus. They recognize that he is not where he was when they left him. They recognize that there were no new boats that had come into the harbor that evening. And so they're puzzled and they're curious as to where he went and how he got there. So the multitude travels to Capernaum and they find him. And when they did, they asked him about food. Jesus fed them and the next day they search for him. And when they find him, they ask him about food. And so Jesus will take that opportunity then to begin to teach them about a completely different kind of food altogether. And that's the bread of life. As we examine this section today, there are a number of important points and questions that this context will bring to our mind. Here are just a few. Number one, the principle or the point of coming to Christ on his terms or in the way that he defines. Too often as human beings, we want to come to Christ on our own terms. We want to write our own plan of salvation and we want to identify point by point, this is what I want to be able to do in order to be pleasing to Christ Jesus when really it's completely the opposite way around. We come to him on his terms, not our own. Number two, what happens when Jesus doesn't give us what we expect him to give? It is true 
that in our world, so many people imagine or draw at least in their minds some image or some caricature of Jesus as they imagine him to be. But what happens when we discover that in reality, Jesus is altogether very different from whom we imagine him or desire him to be? Number three, what is most important in life? What do we desire most? There is a contrast in this section between carnality and spirituality. And like so many other occasions in the life of Jesus, particularly that are recorded in the book of John, we're going to have a situation where the people with whom Jesus is talking are thinking on a carnal plane where Jesus is trying to get them to look up, if you will. He's trying to draw them from the carnal to the spiritual. And he's trying to get them to think about things that are not earthly and mundane, but to think about things that are eternal and things that actually matter and are some, uh, and hold uh, eternal weight and value. Coming to Christ on his terms, seeing Christ Jesus as he really is and not as we imagine him or want him to be, and thinking about what's most important to us. These are just some of the things that are considered in John chapter 6. I want us to notice together, beginning in John chapter 6, verse number 22. We're going to begin in verse 22 today. John 6, verse 22 through 27. I want you to notice with me the search for the bread of life. The Bible says on the day following, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and they came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now I want you to notice, first of all, as we look at verses 22 through 25 before reading verse 26 and 27, that there is at least one thing that we should note from this crowd that is important for all people, and that is the seeking. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms in verse number 24 that they went to Capernaum and they're seeking Jesus and that is right. The Bible tells us that all people ought to seek Jesus. In fact, Jesus in Luke 19 and verse number 10 said that he came to seek and save that which is lost and that includes everybody. So it is important that we all open up the word of God and that we all seek Jesus as he is revealed in the word of God. But the problem in John chapter 6, verse 22 to 27, is not their seeking. The problem is the reason for their seeking. I want you to notice with me, first of all, in this search for the bread of life, that these people were operating under the wrong presupposition. In verse 14 and 15, the Bible says that after Jesus had fed the multitudes on the previous day, they said, Truly, this is the prophet that has come into the world. And so in verse 15, uh, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. The presupposition that these folks are working under is that they're looking for a physical Messiah to be their physical king. And so they're ready to to thrust Jesus in that place. They are looking at the prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking about it not from spiritual terms 
but rather they are presupposing that the Lord God is going to send them someone who is going to be a physical ruler and who is going to remove them from under the oppressive hand of the Romans. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're looking for. That's why they're seeking Jesus. They're operating under, the, uh, under a false presupposition. But I want you to also notice in verse number 26, not only did they have the wrong presupposition, they had the wrong desire. Jesus said in verse number 26, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What Jesus tells them is, listen, I'm going to call you to the carpet right now, and I'm going to call this for what it is. I want you to know that your desire is purely physical and not spiritual. In other words, Jesus says, listen, the only reason that you've traveled in boats across the sea and come to Capernaum and searched me out, the only reason that you're here is because you want more food. This is the same thing that we see in John chapter 4 and verse 15. Remember when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. And Jesus says to her that he has water of which if she drank, she would never thirst again. And so she said, Lord, give me this water. And the people are going to say the same thing in just a few moments in this context as it pertains to bread. Jesus tells the woman, I am the water of life, and if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And the woman thinks, great, I never have to come to the well to draw water again. Let me have it. Jesus says, no, you've got it all wrong. In the same way, the people... They see this man, Jesus, who they perceive to be a prophet, who they perceive to be someone qualified to be their king. And oh, by the way, he also gives us food, so let's go find him again because, well, after all, food is important. And Jesus will go on to tell them, yes, it is, it is very important, but not the kind of food you're thinking of. You see, the problem is that these folks, their desire was physical and not spiritual. And this sets the tone really for the remainder of the chapel, a chapter where the people view everything from a carnal perspective and Jesus urges them to see things from a spiritual perspective. He wants them to see things that are of real, lasting value. You suppose that that is a lesson that might still be applicable even today. We live in a world that is incredibly carnal. We live, in a, we live in a country that has, uh, that has experienced throughout its history unparalleled prosperity. And the truth of the matter is that too often, too often our carnal mindset based upon the things that we have in this life, in this country, in this world, we take that mindset and then we copy and we paste it right in to the venue of New Testament Christianity. You remember we asked a minute ago, or we talked a minute ago about the fact that this context will challenge us with this idea of what happens when the Jesus of reality is really different than the Jesus of our imagination. Or when the terms of coming to him are far different than the terms that we imagine or that we're willing to do of our own. Someone says, I want to fashion religion and Christianity after my own image because this is the way that I live and it's comfortable for me. But the Bible says Christianity is fashioned after no man's image and it's not supposed to make us comfortable provided that we're living in this world and provided that we have a carnal mindset. Instead, it's to make us very uncomfortable and prompt us and force us to turn away from this world and turn away from carnality. And that's exactly what Jesus does in verse number 27. Notice how Jesus redirects them. They're searching for him in verses 22 to 25. uh, Jesus calls their hypocrisy in verse number 26 and their inappropriate desire and their carnality. And now in verse number 27, he he redirects them. First, he gives them a command. 
He says, most, he says uh, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. The word labor has to do with effort. It's working. It's, ex, it's uh, expending yourself. And Jesus says, if you're going to labor and work and expend yourself, you need to aim that not toward things that are of, of uh, short, uh, uh, quick carnal value in this world, but rather you need to aim those efforts at things that are of real lasting value. That's the command. And then he provides the source. He says, I'm commanding you to expend effort for food, not that perishes, but what endures to everlasting life. And he says, which the Son of Man is going to give you. In other words, the only place where you're going to find this is Christ Jesus. And then he gives the qualification. You need to labor for food that endures to everlasting life, that which is of real lasting value, not carnal and not worldly, And the Son of Man, Christ Jesus, is the only one who has the ability to give it. And the reason why he's the only one that has the ability to give it, verse 27, is because God the Father has set his seal upon him. The search for Jesus in John 6, verses 22 to 27, reveals carnality. The search for Jesus in John 6, verse 22 to 27, reveals what happens when people are so stooped in worldliness that they become blind to what their true needs really are. Like the woman in John chapter 4 who thinks, I'll never have to draw water from this well again. These folks are thinking, look, this man is going to provide for us food, and so we never have to work for it again. Jesus says, no, no, you've got it all wrong. Their emphasis is in the wrong place, like so many in our world currently. Our emphasis is on nice houses and new cars and popularity and keeping up with trends on human wisdom and pleasure and material things that make us feel good now. But after a while, we're hungry again because the things that this world has to offer have no real lasting, no real eternal value. So that forces us to ask ourselves what is really most important to us and what we really want more than anything things that make us feel good now, or things that will sustain us on through eternity. In the next section, verses 28 through 35, we read about the provision of the bread of life. We have the search for the bread of life in 22 to 27. We have the provision of the bread of life in verse 28 to 35. And I want you to notice with me that this section is divided into three subsections. We have number one, a question in verse 28 and 29. We have number two, a challenge in verse 30 and 31, and then we have the answer in verse 32 to 35. Look at the question. The Bible says in verse 28, they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Notice the connection with verse number 27. Jesus says, do not labor for meat that perishes, but rather labor for that which endures to everlasting life. They missed the everlasting life part, but they caught on to the work. Jesus used this idea of working or laboring or extending effort. And so what they're saying in verse number 28 is, great, what does God require? You tell us what action we need to do. You tell us what work we need to engage in in order to have this food that will always be here and we'll be glad to do it. That's their question. And what's Jesus' answer in verse 35? This is the work of God. Or rather, this is the work that God would have you to do that you believe on him, who sent, uh, on him who he sent. Now circle John chapter 6 and verse number 29 and don't lose sight of it because it's going to come up again over and over again throughout the remainder of this chapter. 
They've searched for Jesus first because, well, all, they've searched for all the wrong reasons. They've got a false presupposition and they're trying to fill a desire that's carnal and not spiritual. And now Jesus tells them in verse number 28 and following, listen, if you'd really like to, if you'd really like to taste this food that endures to everlasting life, then the thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to believe in him who he sent. Over and over again in the book of John, Jesus will talk about the importance of faith. But when Jesus talks about faith, when he talks about belief, not only in this context, but throughout the entirety of the book, Jesus is not talking about a one-time proposition. Rather, Jesus is talking about a life of dedicated followership. He's talking about obedience, an ongoing action, as we might say. And this, again, is the point that they're going to miss. Again, like so many who live even today. What they're looking for is someone that they can say, all right, look, we want to do this one work, we want to do this one thing, this one time, so that we can secure food for our bellies for the rest of our lives, and a king who is going to get rid of the Romans and take care of us and make life great. Jesus says, you don't get it. We're not talking about a one-time proposition. We're talking about the reality of dedicating your life in complete and total fullness to the one whom God has sent who has the ability to provide this everlasting bread. Look at the challenge then. Verse number 30, Therefore they said to him, Well, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and, we believe, and that we might believe you? What work are you going to do? The question is ironic, wouldn't you agree? Just the day before, Jesus feeds the entire multitude with nothing but five loaves of bread and two fish. And now they're saying, all right, listen, Jesus, you've told us that you have the ability to give us this bread, this everlasting bread. You've told us that we need to believe in you in order for us to get it. Now, prove it. Tell us, give us a good reason why we should believe in you. That's really the idea. And what they're doing is they're comparing him to Moses. Remember, in verse number 14 and 15, they say this is the prophet. Moses said of the prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he'll be greater than me. Well, Jesus, if you're the prophet that Moses is talking about, that means you're supposed to be greater than Moses. Moses fed us with manna from heaven. He filled our bellies, and he did it over and over and over again. You fed us with manna. You fed our bellies. Now, you do something better than he did. That's the idea of the passage. But Jesus, Jesus again, confronts their inappropriate thinking. In the next section, verses 32 through 35, Jesus makes clear to them, listen, you've misunderstood. Moses didn't give you that bread, God did. Most, most assuredly, I say to you, verse 32, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Moses gave you bread, but Moses didn't give you bread, God did. And the bread that God gave you through Moses was the kind of bread that you ate and that you digested, and after a while you were left wanting for more. But then he says in verse 33, God continues to give bread, and this bread comes from heaven, but as opposed to the bread that he gave through Moses, this bread is not going to leave you empty. This bread is not going to leave you wanting more. This bread will continue to give you life. Fine, give us this bread, verse 34. That's the idea. And notice they say, always Lord, give us this bread always. In other words, keep filling our bellies with it over and over again. They've still missed the point. 
They're thinking Jesus is talking about this magic loaf of bread that's just always going to be there over and over and over again. Jesus says, no, no, you're missing it. Verse 35, it's me. I'm the bread of life. They search for Jesus for all the wrong reasons in verse 22 to 27. Jesus explains to them that God has provided bread for them in verses 20. Uh, verses 28 through 35, and that he is that bread. Now stop for a moment and think about what that image means. When we talk about bread, we're talking about food. And of course, when we talk about food, we're talking about nourishment. Nourishment is a basic human desire. And a person who doesn't have the ability to eat will do just about anything within his power in order to make sure that he can eat. And when Jesus describes himself as the bread of life, what he's trying to get us to see, what he's trying to get us to see is that our desire for spiritual nourishment should be, yea, greater even than our desire for physical nourishment. In other passages, God will communicate it like this. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jeremiah chapter, or excuse me, Job 23 and verse number 12, your word, Job said, I esteemed it greater than my necessary food. In other words, I would rather feast spiritually on the word of God than physically on the food that's here now and then leaves me wanting more later. This is all about desire. Again, the question is, what do you want more than anything? These people, more than anything else, wanted to have their bellies full. But what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that there are things that are more important than just having your bellies full. What do you want most? You see, Jesus fulfills man's greatest need. That's the point. Outside of Jesus, life has no meaning. Outside of Christ Jesus, there is no hope. Outside of Christ Jesus, there are no answers to the great questions and to the problems of life. Our families, our congregations, our friendships, our everyday existence is empty and it is lacking outside of Jesus Christ. And that's what these folks couldn't seem to understand. Jesus is here to offer them something that Moses could not give, verse 31. He's here to offer them something that is not physical, verse 14 and 15 and 26 and 27, and he is here to offer them something that is not temporary. Verse number 34. The question is not whether he was willing to offer it. The question is whether they wanted it and were willing to accept it. And then in the final section we'll look at this morning, verses 36 to 40, Jesus describes the benefits of the bread of life. We have the search, we have the provision, and now we have the benefits. Notice in verse number 26, or excuse me, verse number 36, Jesus says, But I say to you who have seen me, and yet do not believe, and I want you to circle that verse. Remember a moment ago that G, the, the multitude in verse number 30 said, Show us a sign then. Jesus said in verse 27, Labor not for the food which perishes, but for that which endures to everlasting life. And then Jesus says, Listen, uh, God has provided this. Uh, God has provided this manna, and the work that you have to do is believe in the one whom He has sent. And they say, "Fine, prove it." Why should we believe in you when they had just seen the miracle? The point is that they saw the miracle, but they missed the sign or the significance. Notice he says, those of you who have seen me and do not believe, these are the same people that saw the feeding of the multitude with five loaves and two fishes, but it never dawned on them what the significance was of what they saw. 
in their mind, the significance is, here is the king, and here's the guy that can feed us every day for the rest of our lives. But what the significance really was is, here is the Messiah of God who has come to give us eternal life. I'm saying to those of you who have seen me, they saw the miracle, but they didn't see the significance. They missed the sign. He says, listen, I want you to know that I said to you that you, uh, you, rather, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. There's a contrast here. They saw the miracle, but they missed the significance. Jesus says, I want you who are missing the significance to understand something. That those who will come to me will not ever be, they're not going to be cast out. That's the idea. But instead, they're going to have eternal life. That's the promise of the bread of life. That's the benefits. The Bible tells us, though, that to know first the benefits of the bread, we have to eat it. The search, the provision, and the benefit. The benefit, Jesus says, for those of you who are missing it, is that you'll live for eternity. That you have something that is more important and more valuable than the carnal, mundane things of this world. But in order to access that, you have to see the Lord for who he really is. You have to see me for who I really am, he says. I'm not just someone who fills your bellies. I'm not just some sort of social justice Jesus that has, happens to agree with all of the thoughts of your particular political persuasion and has no requirements. But rather, Jesus emphasizes again, even in this last section, that if you're going to access the benefits of the bread of life, what you're going to have to do is believe, which every time Jesus says it implies faithful, obedient followership. So those same questions that we started with come to fruition here again at the end of this section. What are the terms upon which Jesus demands people come to him? The terms are his, and the terms are obedience, faithfulness, obeying the gospel and living a faithful life. What happens when the Jesus, whom, uh, when we see Jesus in one way, but then we recognize that he's something totally different? then we have to adjust the way that we see him. That's what these folks are being told to do. They see Jesus as a king who can fill their bellies. Jesus is not a king who can fill their bellies necessarily. Jesus, rather, is the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come not, not just to give them physical food, but to give them that which is most important, and that's spiritual nourishment. We have to learn to desire the things that are spiritual more than the things that are carnal and mundane. We have to learn to see things from a heavenly plane, from heaven's perspective. We have to see Christ for who he is and obey him as he will. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and verse 4. Jesus said life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Luke 12 and verse 23. And one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Luke 12 and verse 15. And then he asked this very sobering question in Matthew 16 verse 26. But what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Tonight we'll study the rest of this context and what we'll find is that there are a number of people who after hearing what the Lord has to say on this occasion in John chapter 6 are willing to gain the whole world and lose their own soul. They're willing to forfeit what really matters, their eternal destiny, their eternal salvation because they don't like what Jesus has to say. And I'm sad to say that I know that there are so many who stand in the same shoes even this morning. But what about you? In whose shoes are you standing? Do you recognize Jesus as the bread of life? Do you desire to be filled with the spiritual nourishment that he provides more than anything else in this world? Are you prepared to come Jesus, come to Jesus upon his terms? Are you prepared to see him as he really is? Are you prepared to render obedience to the gospel this morning? Then we stand ready and willing to help you to do it. Are you a Christian today that's lost sight of the Lord? You're focused more on the things of this world than than you are on the things of God? The benefits that this world, the short, lasting, temporary pleasures of life, more than the spiritual nourishment and fulfillment that leads to everlasting life? Change your life. Change your perspective. Let us help you and pray with you and encourage you in whatever way we can. Come forward. Let your